Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. We're continuing in this series of messages on being spiritually grown. And it's this idea of what it means to become a planting of the Lord, to be rooted deeply in Jesus, to, as we grow, to being pruned as needed, with the goal is to produce as much spiritual fruit in the life of Jesus out of our lives as possible. Now, in last week's message, I noted how Jesus changed the nature of the relationships that the disciples had from that of being those who are just religiously affiliated to being family. And so Jesus pointed to God as their father and then one another as their brothers and sisters in Christ. And so this terminology of family had real implications in terms of discipleship, both for them and also for us now as followers of Jesus in modern times. So the two main points that we looked at last week was one related to God as our father. Because God is my father, I can expect, you can expect, that we need to change some of the attitudes, habits, and thinking that we have grown up with. And so God is, in a very real sense, reparenting us in the ways of the kingdom of God. That what we grew up with, either through our family of origin uh, and also from our culture, the generation that we are a part of, had faulty thinking, had uh, ways of viewing the world and our faith that led us not closer to Christ, but closer to an image of the world. And so we needed to be and continue to need to be reparented by God as our Father. The second idea that we looked at was that because the church is my family, I can expect that I'll need to be a part of meaningful conversations that will challenge my style of relating to others. And this is where we spent a lot of time last week. If you get a chance, if you need a refresher or haven't looked at it yet, go back to the previous week's message. And this idea came uh, really strongly across is that the tendency in our human relationships and our style of relating is that whenever there's conflict, whenever we're not getting along, whenever we feel hurt, uh, whenever we feel overlooked or misunderstood, is that we have this fight or flight syndrome. So we either run and hide, much like Adam did with God in the garden, and when there was conflict, when there was broken relationship between Adam and God, uh, there was this response that Adam had, which was to hide from God, not to remain in relationship, not to stay present, but to hide. And this is the human pattern. This is what we see in churches and Christians over and over throughout the ages and in modern times as well. Uh, when there's conflict, people leave. People get out of that discomfort of conflict. And so they want to go. Now, there's certainly reasons to uh, leave fellowship with a local congregation, but conflict is not one of them. <laughs> and by that, I mean that the conflict, we should always try to work to resolve it first before we might decide whether or not God is leading us to another place. Sometimes in very rare cases, that's not possible. But in other times it is possible, it's just going to take work. And so that's where we say, because the church is my family, 
I can expect, you can expect, that you're going to need, need to be a part of those conversations to learn different styles of relating other than leaving or being overly aggressive and pushing with our attitudes and behaviors that drives others away. We, in Christ, we want to learn a different way, a different pattern. And so in a very real sense, the church then becomes a greenhouse for relationships. We have this admission that I don't do relationships well. You need to grow in your ability to connect and relate to others in meaningful ways, including those in whom you don't agree with. And so the church is a greenhouse for that type of activity where we don't have it perfect, but we're learning it and we're growing up in Christ in our relationships. Well, in this message, we pick up at John 14. Up to this point, we've just been in John chapter 13. So we move the page forward and we go to John chapter 14. And Jesus has just shared in the Passover meal with the disciples, including Judas. Judas has agreed or has taken the step to now go betray Jesus. And so he's left the table and left the room. And Jesus has just told the disciples, the remaining 11, who are present with him, he said, listen, you're not going to stay with me. All of you, I'm going to uh, be driven away. I'm going to face this crucifixion and all of you are going to disperse. And of course, it's Peter, always the bold one. Peter boldly proclaims, he says, not me, Jesus, not me. I will stay with you even if it costs me my life. And of course, if you're familiar with the story, Jesus' reply, uh, what he tells Peter is he says, yes, Peter, even you. In fact, you won't even make it till the morning. You will deny me three times before the rooster crows. You won't get to the morning time without de having denied me three times. And so this moment, if we put ourselves there, is very somber. It's very serious. And it's a very difficult time as Jesus is leading them to this idea that he is going to face death and abandonment and that they are going to experience a separation that from this point going forward, it will never be the same as it's been. It's not going to be Jesus and the 12 following him around or with Judas gone, Jesus and 11 following in his footsteps, traveling throughout Galilee and heading to Jerusalem occasionally. This this whole journey in the way that they've experienced it is going to dramatically change in the coming hours. And so as they come to this point, Jesus is beginning to give them this instruction that the experience of discipleship as they know it, it's coming to an end. And so I would like us to pray as we come to John chapter 14 and we get a glimpse of what Jesus has to speak to them as he begins to unfold this idea of what it will take for the disciples to remain. They're going to disperse. They're going to reject him and walk away, but they're also going to come back. And Jesus gives them insight into what it will take for them to remain over the long haul in this discipleship pathway. And so let's pray and we'll join into the discussion that Jesus has with the disciples and make our connections as well to what that means for us. Lord, we thank you that your word is here for us to come into it, into relationship with it through your Holy Spirit. 
And that relationship is one of understanding, but also one of conviction, one of revelation where things become alive that have not yet been alive in our understanding. But then also it comes to us as application and the pathway forward. Lord, for some of us, we feel stuck with you. Um, our discipleship has been a bit of a treadmill and we haven't moved forward for some time. And so we need to hear this, Lord. We need to move forward with you because we've been feeling stuck. Lord, others of us have uh, come to a point over this past year of just questioning, are we with you? What's going on? And so, Lord, you have words to speak to us out of John 14 that help us to understand what's happening in our relationship with you. And then others, Lord, who have not even begun a journey with you, who have not even started that discipleship process. And so, uh, again, this portion of scripture has much to say to that group as well in terms of what it takes to really begin to walk with you and remain with you. And so wherever we're at in this discipling process, Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us through the scriptures. And Lord, that you would draw us closer to yourself, that we might abide and remain. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to turn to John chapter 14. And again, uh, Jesus has told them that what they've experienced up to this point, it's coming to an end. It won't be that way here going forward. They won't be doing this journey much longer as they know, know it. However, he doesn't leave them with just this downer bad news. He also gives them this insight that there's a new pathway that's emerging out of this time. He's not going to be available to them in the way that he has been. He's not going to be physically accessible. However, where he's going they actually know the way there. Uh, they've been on this journey with him, and he's going to give them some instruction that will lead them along the path. So John 14, beginning in verse 1, Jesus speaking, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not Believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. 
or else believe on account of the works themselves. So this new understanding that Jesus is bringing to the disciples, he brings with it the idea that he's going to the Father to get things ready for their arrival, that he's leading the way. He's not deserting them. He's making that clear. He says, I go ahead and I prepare this place for you and I'm making it possible for you to come and join me. And he adds this in. And by the way, you already know the way there. He just kind of throws that in on the end of this very introductory teaching about where he's going. He says, by the way, you know how to get there. And, you know, it's one of those things where it draws or it elicits two different responses. Uh, the first response is from Thomas. And Thomas's reply to Jesus telling them that they know the way there, he asks, how can we know the way if we don't even know if or when we've reached the destination? So in, in other words, these are confusing signs, Lord. We how are we supposed to know which direction to take if we don't know where it is exactly that we're supposed to end up? Now, if you would just tell us where the end point is, then we can say with certainty that we've arrived and that will help us determine our route to get there. In other words, from Grand Junction, if you would just tell us if we're going west to Moab or if we're supposed to go east to Gypsum, uh, if you'll just tell us that endpoint destination, we can figure out a route to get there. But Lord, you haven't even told us what the endpoint is. So how are we supposed to know the way? How do we know how to get there? And this really is the request of everyone everywhere, isn't it? <laughs> if you will remove the uncertainty about what's to come, then that'll certainly make the journey much easier and much uh, less challenging for us. Uh, this, is, this is the heart cry of every person I've ever known. Whether you're a follower of Christ or not, everyone wants to know the end point. We want to know the end from the beginning, and then we can determine which way it is that we want to go in order to get there. But we just want that uncertainty removed. Now, here's the problem with that, is that the tendency is that when we're only looking for the destination, we are significantly impaired in our vision for anything other than the destination itself. If Jesus was to tell them, this is what it looks like when the end comes specifically, very, this is what you're waiting for, then no doubt the disciples, like every one of us, would have blinder boxes on that would cause us to only be looking for that end point and we wouldn't be looking around at what's happening as we go along in the journey. So we, we tend, when we're looking for that destination point, again, we miss what's happening in the process. Secondly, we become exceedingly impatient waiting for that destination to come. How many times have you or I been in a car, either as children or been adults in a car with a child? And the one question that kept coming up over and over, do I need to even say it? I bet you know it. Are we there yet? <laughs> Are we there yet? 
10 minutes later, are we there yet? Right, this impatience of we want the destination so badly, the journey along the way is lost on us. All that we care is getting to that endpoint. And this becomes this unending loop of a question that gets asked over and over. And this is the question that I, and I would say likely you as well, ask God over and over. Are we there yet? This is the question the children of Israel were asking God as they're waiting to get to the promised land. Are we there yet? Can we cross over? Is it time? And so the the journey is lost when the destination is the only thing that's fixed in our mind. So when Jesus is pressed with this question for Thomas, Thomas says, just tell us the destination. We, we don't know the destination, so how can we know the way? Tell us the destination and that will help us to know the way. Jesus points Thomas back to himself. And he says, Thomas, you've been with me all this time. And by being with me, you know the way to the Father. There's no mystery as to where you're going. You're going to the Father. But what that looks like is not in a future end point that is completely unknown to you. That is the destination that is experienced by abiding and remaining with me. So let me say it this way. When we stay with Jesus, we experience discipleship that takes us to the face of God in heaven. But heaven without staying with Jesus gives us neither discipleship nor heaven. So this idea that abiding with Christ, and this is what Jesus is pointing to Thomas. Uh, he's saying, Thomas, you know the way to the Father. It's through me. It's with me. It's remaining and continuing in the discipleship pathway that I've led you in. And if you stay with me, you'll get to the Father. You'll reach the destination. But the opposite of true is true of that as well. If you and I can only fixate on a destination, and there are people, there is a form of Christianity that is not real life with Jesus. There is this form of, of Christian religion that's main goal is to get to heaven. And it knows nothing of discipleship and remaining with Jesus, only a destination point that allows me to check the box of saved or not saved. My name is written or it's not written. And it knows nothing of abiding with Christ, but only reaching the destination. And Jesus interjects with Thomas in this, and he says, that doesn't exist. <laughs> you don't get the destination without abiding with me. If you abide with me, you get there. You can remain with me, and you'll discover that you'll be in the face, before the very face of God, worshiping him in heaven as you remain with me. And so this is the first response to Jesus's words about where he's going and how do we get there. When we experience discipleship with Jesus, we end up, we abide with him and we end up before the Father. If we only want to check a box and get to the destination, we neither get Jesus nor heaven. And so this is the call of every follower of Jesus to abide and remain with Christ because no one gets to the Father except through Christ. 
And that's not simply saying a prayer about Jesus, that's remaining with him in discipleship. This is true following of Jesus. And so this is countercultural even within the church because there's many churches that teach and there's been a form of religion, of Christian religion that says, I can say a prayer, check the box, and that takes care of it. But that's nothing of biblical discipleship and abiding with Christ. The next response to Jesus saying that he's going to prepare the way for us, it comes from Philip. And Philip, I love Philip's response because it's much more simple and it's actually a, a closer reflection to what we often see in the church today. Philip says, Jesus, let us see the Father and that'll be enough. Let us have this experience of seeing the Father whom you know and that experience itself will carry us forward so that we can abide and remain. We, we don't know the end destination. We don't know what the journey looks like. But Jesus, if you can deliver on this out of the world experience that we can see the Father, it will validate your teaching. It'll validate and affirm our discipleship with you. And that'll be enough for us. And that'll keep us abiding and remaining with you because now we've seen that destination, we've seen the Father, and we just, that experience will just be enough for us to stay with you. <laughs> now, like I said, this idea is carried by a lot of people. Uh, you know, Lord, if you would just give me that supernatural shot in the arm, uh, that's gonna be enough for me. Lord, if you'll just give me a spiritual pick-me-up that will just kind of lift my spirits a little bit. Boy, give me that over-the-top experience of worship. Lord, if you'll just give somebody a prophetic word to speak to me, then that'll be enough for me. That'll, that'll carry me through the rest of the week. That'll carry me maybe even through the next two or three weeks. I, you know, I'll, I'll stay with you through that time if you'll just give me that really awesome worship Holy Spirit goosebump experience, that'll be enough for me to stay. <laughs> and this is often a common thought that people have. You know, if, if the Lord will just give me a sign, that'll be enough. Do you know what I've seen over and over in the church, and maybe you've seen it too, is that's never enough. <laughs> it's enough for that day. It might be enough for a week. Some people can live off of the manna, the food from three weeks ago and let that carry them forward. But eventually, whether it's a day, a week, three weeks, a month, three months, eventually it's not enough. And it wears off. And that out of, outer world experience, this amazing experience you or I had with God and the Holy Spirit working our lives, we say, well, yeah, that, that happened, but, but what about now? Now I need a new experience. Now I need another shot in the arm. Now I need something else to pick me up. Here's Jesus' response to Philip, and I think it's beautiful and it's very applicable to every one of us today. Jesus responds to Philip with this idea. He says, if, Philip, if you've seen me, you actually have seen the Father. And no supernatural outer body experience, vision from heaven of seeing God 
is going to help you remain any more than seeing me right now and abiding with me and staying with me. If knowing me, just as Philip, if knowing me hasn't been enough for you to want to remain, having some miraculous spiritual experience isn't going to do more for you to help me stay or to help you stay with me. It'll be a great experience, but a week from now, two weeks from now, two months or two years, you're going to be looking for something else. The only way to remain is to stay with me in discipleship. Now, this is not a attack against miraculous signs and wonders. I, they absolutely have a place in the church, but signs and wonders will not keep you with Jesus. Signs and wonders will not be your defining discipleship moments. And the reason I know that is because they weren't in Jesus's time either. Jesus delivered over and again these signs and wonders. He got to the point where he literally had thousands of people following after him, asking for signs and wonders and seeing him do signs and wonders. But all throughout this time, you get to the end of his life on earth, the crucifixion, and where were the thousands? Where were all the people who were following Jesus because he was doing all these signs and wonders? Well, it wasn't enough. They kept saying, well, do another sign. Give us another sign. Do something else for us. And Jesus is final response to this idea was he says, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. He says, where I'm going to be swallowed up for three days. I'm going to be swallowed up, I'm going to be crucified, pointing to his crucifixion, his death, his burial, and then his resurrection. That's the sign. So listen, church, while I absolutely, and you, if you're a follower of Christ, you should absolutely pray for and desire signs and wonders of the kingdom to be present in our midst. But let's not get it twisted. Let's not get it bent where we think that is what's going to help us get to tomorrow and next week and next year with Jesus. Those testify of who Jesus is. Those don't disciple us in the way of Jesus. Those affirm that what Jesus said and who he said about himself and what he said he's done in the crucifixion and the resurrection and that the future is coming, those affirm those statements, but those don't disciple us in the way of Jesus. What disciples us, and this is what he pointed to with Philip, is he says, what disciples you is that you affirm that you see the Father when you see me, that you've got a taste of heaven when you stay with me and you know me. The only thing that keeps you with Jesus is growing up with Jesus, is abiding with him and staying with him. And so if you found yourself on this up and down roller coaster, I want to tell you it's time to get off of the up and downs with Jesus. If you've been on this place of waiting for God to show you one sign after another to drive your relationship forward with him, I want to tell you, you can be free of that today. And that comes just from a willful, Holy Spirit-driven decision that recognizes, Jesus, you are the Son of God. I give you my life. 
And whatever comes, whatever I face, I will remain with you. I will immerse myself in the word. I will immerse myself and be baptized and filled and refilled with the Holy Spirit daily renewed in my life with you. I will remain in fellowship with your people, with the church, and I will commit myself to grow deeper with you and abiding in you so that I can experience this supernatural life with you. This is what moves us forward and this is what disciples us. And the, the reason the others don't is because living off of the highs of spiritual experiences with God produce an event-centered Christian. But Jesus is calling us to be disciples who live with a long view of our faith. So we're not event-centered. We're not gift-centered. We're not signs and wonders-centered. We're Jesus-centered people. He's at the focal point. He's at the front. He's the one that we're worshiping, we're exalting. He's the one that we're following in the way of. And as we follow him, he reveals himself through scripture, through the spirit, and through signs and wonders, through healings and through miraculous provision, through a prophetic word, through different giftings that come about within his body. He reveals who he is in these things. But again, we don't follow the rise and fall based on him showing us the father and that being enough. What we affirm is what he told Thomas or told Philip is that when we've seen him, we've seen the father. And so we know the way. We already know the way to heaven. We already know the way to coming before the face of the father. And that's remaining with Jesus, abiding in him, and continuing on this discipleship path with him. Well, this is a great point for us to just pause for a moment. We're going to receive communion. So if you need a moment to get the elements, uh, please do get bread and the cup. And then we'll come back together in just a moment and we'll finish with communion as we look to abide and remain with Jesus as we see the Father by seeing Jesus. Let's pause for a moment to get communion. So we hold the bread. Jesus said, and as much as you take this bread and this cup to remember him. And what we're remembering is, yes, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the atonement, the forgiveness of sins. Um, we're remembering all of those things. But in a very real sense, we're also remembering that he abides with us. That as we hold this bread, we're remembering that he's very present with us in our discipleship. That we're following him, the person of Christ, and not just his teachings, not just his ideas, but we're following him, the living Christ. And so the bread reminds us that we receive it we're receiving this abiding relationship with him. And so if you've never made that decision, I want to invite you today to, as you hold the bread and the cup before you receive it, to say that prayer and to surrender your life to Jesus and say, Lord, as I hold your body, Lord, I give you my own. I give you my life and I receive the life that you lay down for me. I receive your 
surrender to the cross as my forgiveness of sins, as sufficiency for me to have relationship with the Father. And so from this day forward, Lord, I follow you as a disciple, and that I am yours and I belong to you as I follow after you. That'd be a great prayer to pray before we receive communion if you've not yet prayed that and accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. As we think about him being present with us, we remember him. We remember that we're seeing the Father and we're on this pathway to being with the Father. He's the destination. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so communion reminds us to stay with him, to abide with him, not to ride the highs and lows of experiences, not to want to uh, ask for the destination so that we don't have to worry about that, but to remain with him through it all. And so I make this invitation as we come to the table, you hold the bread and the cup. This is our invitation to abide and to be present with him. Lord, we thank you for this bread. We thank you that it is a reminder that you are the living word, that you are God become flesh, become crucified, buried, and resurrected, and now seated with the Father, and that you're coming again. And so we thank you that this bread reminds us we're in relationship, not just in religion, that we are abiding in you the presence of the living Christ, and that your sufficiency in life is what we find as we remain with you. So help us, Lord. Help us to stay Help us to remain faithful and true to you. And may we see more of the Father the deeper and farther we go in our walk with you. We thank you for your body surrendered for us. And we give you thanks as we receive it. Amen. Receive the bread. Lord, the cup of your blood shed on the cross. It is this new covenant that is of grace. We know, Lord, that we cannot abide in our own strength. We know, God, that we are oftentimes fickle. We get distracted. Lord, we don't always do the righteous thing. Sometimes we do our thing instead of your thing. But this blood reminds us, this cup, that your blood was shed to cover our waywardness and to make us righteous in you. So we thank you for forgiving us. We thank you for uh, atoning for our unrighteousness and calling us to become people, Lord, who are blameless in your sight and making it possible that we can be whole and holy in you. God, this is a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful gift that you've given to us in your shed blood. And we receive it not on our merits, but on your grace. And so we thank you for the cup and we receive this grace and mercy, this gift of your blood for us in Jesus' name. Receive the cup. And now as this message finishes out, I pray that you will find yourself drawn more deeply to Jesus day by day not trying to live off of yesterday's experience or the experience from two weeks ago, or hoping that today will reveal something that will help you to remain and give you motivation, but that you will find yourself drawing close to Jesus 
just sitting quietly, recognizing his presence with you as he affirms through the scriptures, through the Holy Spirit, through other followers, that you are his beloved and that you know the way to the Father as you remain in him, as you find your way forward by abiding in Christ. God bless you as you do it and as you remain in him. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.